I have actually preached on Psalm 136 for a Thanksgiving service before, but this is entirely new material. It's entirely new material. I didn't use one, well, I shouldn't say one word because there's some pretty common words. I didn't use any of the thoughts from my previous one, and there's a reason for that. Because last time I preached, it was years ago, and God has done amazing things since then. And I have thought about it more. And that's the wonderful thing, because a psalm like 136 is the type of psalm you will see that kind of just, uh, you finish it, but it, it, it could go on forever. And I think that you're going to see what I mean when you turn to Psalm 136. It's on page 972. Uh, in your pew Bibles. Otherwise, the words are going to be on the screens. And it's going to be important that you can read the words, at least for the first couple verses, because I'm going to have you read this with me. Um, I am going to read the first part of each verse, and you are going to read the second part of each verse. And so Psalm 136, beginning at verse 1, says... Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love forever. To him alone does great wonders. His love Who by his understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Come on, don't seem so bored. This is good stuff. Who made the great lights. Yes, the sun to govern the day. The moon and stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And brought Israel through the midst of it. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the desert. Who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan, and gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his servant Israel. To the one who remembered us in our low estate and freed us from our enemies and who gives food to every creature, give thanks to the God of heaven. Awesome. Thanks for keeping it going. This is the word of the Lord. Now in the Jewish tradition, this psalm was known as the great Hallel. And of course, the great Hallel, most of you have already figured out, is the root of more common word to us, hallelujah. And actually, just to kind of show off some of my Hebrew knowledge, uh, how means to praise, 
And El means a general term for God, and Yah is a shortened form of Yahweh, which is the, the revealed personal covenant name of God that he, that he um, shared with his people. So how El, Uya, Hallelujah means praise to God the Lord. Not just praise to any God, praise to God the Lord. Praise to the Lord, praise to Yahweh, praise to the one true God. <clears throat> now, as we just read it, and that seemed pretty natural once we got into it, uh, this psalm is obviously meant to be read responsively, antiphonally, if you want the more technical word. Because that phrase, his love endures forever, is repeated 26 times. And so just to break down the structure a little bit for you, each verse features an assertion, such as give thanks to the God of gods, and then comes the response, his love endures forever. So each verse contains something new and something repeated. The assertion is new in every verse. The refrain is repeated. And now quite appropriate for today, Psalm 136 both begins and ends with a call to thanksgiving. Verses 1 to 3 again, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, give thanks to the God of gods, give thanks to the Lord of lords, his love endures forever. And then all the way in uh, verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven, his love endures forever. Now, since we're on kind of a Hebrew state of mind, um, that word, give thanks, actually means more than to simply give thanks. Like, oh yeah, thanks, thanks a lot, thanks for that. It means to acknowledge and to confess and to praise. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a couple of minutes. But I want you to notice that the song begins and ends with this call for us to give thanks and worship God. It's bookended by those two things. That is the main idea in this psalm. And in the middle of the psalm, we have this interesting, and it's, it's not random, but it's certainly not an exhaustive list either, uh, this list of God's praiseworthy deeds throughout history. And the reason for that is because, you know, God never asks us to worship him. He never asks us to give him praise without providing us with good reasons to do so. Now, the reason we are to give praise to God is rooted in who he is and what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do. Who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. And always those four things invite us, I would say, require us to give him praise and thanksgiving. <clears throat> now, the Psalms just in general stand as wonderful examples of what I just talked about in that idea. The Psalms comprehensively tell us why we ought to worship God. And there's a reason for that, too. It is so that our praise of God is not based on false ideas, so that our praise and thanksgiving to God is rooted in the truth of God, the truth of God as he has revealed to us in his word. Now, 
Still talking about structure, but breaking it down not quite as specific a way or not quite as precise a way, there are three general reasons to praise God according to Psalm 136. God's creation, which is what he talks about in verses 4 through 9. God's redemption, which is what the psalm talks about in 10 verse 22. And God's providence, which is talked about in the remaining verses. So, God created the world, wonderful and good. We enjoy so many things about this world, even now after the fall into sin. But when we did rebel and fall into sin, God also established a plan to redeem the world, which is, which is why we can at least in some measure enjoy it as it was meant to be enjoyed. And then meanwhile, God also provides everything that we need in his providence for this life and the life to come, which brothers and sisters, that's a, that's a forever blessing. That's a forever reason to praise and thank God. And so creation, redemption, and providence are put forth here as the, the basis of our praise, the, the content of our praise, the, the, the root of our praise. And I would argue that it is absolutely vital to our spiritual well-being to regularly, uh, maybe not even regularly, consistently praise and thank God. There's a lot of things that I could draw out of this psalm to talk about on this Thanksgiving day, but there's, there's really just four in particular that I want to mention. And the first one I just kind of spoiled for you, but that praise and thanksgiving are vital to our spiritual well-being, that they are vital to our spiritual well-being, body and soul, okay? It is important that we praise and thank God and that our praise and thanksgiving is rooted in our confession and our acknowledgement of him. And so <laughs> I guess that's kind of a convoluted way of saying, you know, our life and our doctrine need to match up, okay? We confess that God is who he is. We confess that God has done who he has done and we need to live our lives that way too. That is the way to live a life that is pleasing in God's sight and a life uh, to the best that we can enjoy as well. Yes, in other words, we don't praise God simply to praise him. We praise God because of what we confess and acknowledge about him. I mean, look, just at verse one, just we'll take one verse. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. We give thanks to God because he is the Lord, because he is Yahweh, the God of Israel, because he is good, and because his steadfast love endures forever. So in this one short verse, in this first verse, the psalmist has supplied us with three specific, powerful reasons to give thanks to God. He is Lord, he is good, and his love never ends. Again, our praise is to be rooted in what we know, believe, and confess about God. Our praise of God is rooted in our theology. Our praise of God is rooted in the truth of God's word. You know, in thinking about that, I was thinking that there are a lot 
of good reasons that we can give when, when unbelievers ask us the question, you know, why are you a Christian? Like, why in the world do you go to church every Sunday early at 9 o'clock when you could be sleeping in or going fishing or going hiking? Why in the world do you put yourself through that? Why, why be involved in something like that? It seems like just a terrible inconvenience. Why are you a Christian? Well, one of the best and essential responses is simply because it's true. Because being a Christian means basing my life on the truth. Brothers and sisters, we worship God because he is. God exists. Brothers and sisters, we believe the Bible because it is true. It is the sufficient or authoritative word of God. And in fact, we can not do anything more important in this life than to regularly speak and to sing of God's mercy and love, especially, especially when we're in the midst of tribulation and trials. Think about this. Think about the testimonies that you just heard. When you're in a hard spot and you still worship the Lord through it, and you still believe in his mercy and his love, and you still testify to his goodness, that message gets through. That message gets through. And by the grace of God, he uses, through his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit uses just these kinds of testimonies to transform the hearts of believers and unbelievers alike drawing them near to the God who uh, doesn't disappear when the lights go out. So there's nothing more important than worshiping God and bringing glory to his name and bearing witness to the salvation that comes only through him. I mean, think about this too. While life lasts, we will not be done praying. While this life lasts, there are always gonna be things to pray about always going to be things to pray about. But while eternity lasts, we're talking forever here, we will never be done praising. So in a sense, by praising and thanking God here and now, we are getting ready to do what we are going to be doing forever. Yeah, there's going to be a day when our intercessions end because we're going to be in the new creation, but there will never be a day when our praises end. So that's the first thing I wanted to talk about. Second thing is this. I want to focus on what this psalm has to tell us about our worship. And there's a little bit of overlap here. But we learn here that true worship entails a profession, a profession of God's goodness and his grace and his love and his commitment to us. This profession is expressed through, through deep consideration of who he is and what he has done, the grace and the mercy and the commitment that the Lord has showed to us. And how is that seen? Well, as I have already said, at least in this psalm and the way that it is structured, we are praising and thanking God for his goodness and steadfast love, specifically and especially as we consider his creation and his redemption and his providence. 
We might also refer to this uh, basket of wonderful gifts, this basket of spiritual good things as God's covenant love for us. His covenant love manifested in his person, manifested in his work. And drawing attention for us, drawing attention to God's covenant love in word and in action is the most effective way to develop and sustain a heart of thanksgiving. When we remember who God is and we remember who God is and what he has done consistently, it's hard to get down in this life. It's hard to stand back and say, oh, you know, nothing goes right for me. Yeah, there's no way I'm going to get out of this problem. Yeah, my problem covers my whole horizon. Not when we remember who God is. Not when we remember what God has done and what he has accomplished. And so it's important for us, for ourselves, and even in terms of what we hold up by word and by example to unbelievers, it is important for us to remember and live out the loving kindness of God. Let's talk about this in an evangelistic way. Because sinners, some of them work very, very hard to deny the fact that they're sinners. And yet even though they do that, they know two things deep down inside. They know that they are sinners and that they know that they should be condemned for it. But when they are confronted with testimonies like the ones that we heard a little while ago, when they're confronted with the, the lived truth that God has given his own son, Jesus Christ, to suffer punishment in their place and bear their condemnation so that they can be returned to friendship and fellowship with God, their creator, then I'm going to tell you something. The Holy Spirit can do amazing transformative things in situations like that. And it starts with us doing what we need to do, which is living out loudly our praise and thanksgiving to God. Third thing, I'm sure you noticed how the exodus is celebrated quite a bit in this psalm. The striking down of the firstborn of Egypt, the bringing of Israel across the Red Sea, the overthrow of Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, the leading of God's people in the wilderness. You know, in the Old Covenant, God's people very faithfully, annually memorialized the Exodus, their deliverance from a life of slavery in Egypt, how God intervened in history to give them new life and a future. Now, as a New Covenant people, as a New Covenant people of God, we memorialize a new Exodus how God delivered us from a life of slavery in sin, how God intervened in history to give us new life and a future through his son Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we celebrate that very fact when we partake of the Lord's Supper together, remembering that great event of liberation and redemption. Verses 17 to 22, still on the topic of redemption, we're told that God struck down the kings that opposed Israel. And this is my come to Jesus part of the sermon, just so that you can prepare yourselves. 
It's part of his redemption, but it also points to an important truth, okay? One that we need to remember when we worship God. The enemies of God's people will always fail and perish. They always have, they always will. You know, Paul wrote to believers who were being persecuted in first century Rome, and he wrote these words, if God is for us, who can be against us? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, those words come to us as well, and they strike right into our hearts. If God is for us, who can be against us? But the opposite, brothers and sisters, is also true. If it is true for believers that if God is for us, who can be against us? Then for all of the enemies of God's people, for all who do not count themselves believers in Jesus Christ and among God's people, for those who oppress the people of God, for those who persecute the people of God, if God is against them, who can be for them? The answer is this. It doesn't matter who is for them if God is against them. The enemies of God's people will always fail and perish. They always have, they always will. That is important for us to remember, and that should spur on our evangelism to our brothers and sisters who do not yet know God. And finally, as we close, I want you to just... Focus in on that phrase that is repeated 26 times in this psalm. His love endures forever. God's covenant love is the foundation of all of our blessings and hopes. The repetition of that phrase, his love endures forever, is designed to convince you and to convince me, the believing sinner, that everything God has done, is doing, or will do, he has done, is doing, and will do for you and for me. He is making all things work together for your good because he loves you and because he has called you according to his purposes. God has created this world for you God has sent his son because of his love for you. God's steadfast love is for all of his people. And the repetition of that phrase, his love endures forever, is designed to press home that every single one of those 26 assertions that we find in Psalm 136 and a million more is designed and cataloged to convince you that God in his love has done, is doing, and will do those things for you. So what is our response to be to that? The only only response possible, the only response appropriate, brothers and sisters, is to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Amen. Let's pray.